Hello, uh, welcome to the Tune Under podcast, Southern Hemisphere's original and best Newcastle United podcast. I am Jack. We are here to review the Crystal Palace game, and with me is Dimmy and Keegan. How are you, Dimmy? Not too bad, Jack. Feel a bit like Groundhog Day with the constant issues we're having with uh, the officials, and uh, yeah, it's a bit frustrating that we're not getting the result results at the moment, but. Um, but that's okay. They'll come. They'll come soon, hopefully. Well, you two blokes, both of you were on the Liverpool review pod as well. So this is your second pod within a week, where you've had to talk about VAR and all the, that bullshit. You'll be looking forward to talking about that again, Keegan. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be a good chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's no there's no two ways about. It. We have to talk about this again, which is annoying. Uh, so we will do that when we actually get into the match it's not something we want to talk about but it's something that we can't avoid because it's basically this being the main story of our season so far all of these these var calls and the officiating problems we've come up against but we will get into that newcastle have now got one win in six league games uh we've had four draws and we've had one defeat so on paper it, it's looking like it, it was it was a good start to begin with but the last couple of games have sort of made it look that, a little bit worse on paper and definitely before this game, um, I know that I felt like there was quite a lot of pressure on this game. I think because it was a home game and it was against a team that we, we beat last season. I think we've beaten the last two seasons and really we were favourites for this, even though Palace have been playing quite well. But because we hadn't won since the opening day of the season as well, uh, even though you take into the context the opposition we've had and some of the decisions we've had against us. But I definitely felt like this was... I felt nervous before this game. I felt like it was going to be a difficult game. And I really felt like we, we had to win or we have to start winning soon. Otherwise, this this run is going to become a bit of a problem. Keegan, did you feel that as well? Or did you feel fairly relaxed going into this one? No, no. I was I, was, I, I predicted 2-0. That was more of a hope than a, um, than a, a feeling. Because in reality, I felt, I felt really uneasy and uncomfortable about this game. Like like you said, Palace have actually been going pretty well. Um, when I seen the lineup, still no Bruno or, or Maxi. Plus we're we're well three or four days post Liverpool like and that was a high, a really high octane game, which mm. when blokes come off the ground, they looked absolutely knackered. So there was a fair bit of trepidation with with what was going to happen and yeah, I I didn't really see a comfortable day. I know Craig might have got a little bit excited with his four <laughs> 0 prediction, but I, I I couldn't think of anything further from the truth. I was really really sort of uneasy about about the whole fixture. I thought it was a real banana skin. It's usually Nostradimi that predicts five 0 victories and things like that. But <laughs> Dimmy, <laughs> Dimmy, how did you feel of going into this one? Did you have these sort of nervous feelings as well or did you think it was going to be a walk in the park i didn't think it was going to be a walk in the park but i'm i'm generally a pretty positive person so i was very confident going into the game i think our performances this season have been have been very good so i trust in eddie and i trust in in the lads to be 
to be ready for the game. And I, especially at home, I think St. James's is starting or is now really a fortress for us. And I, besides even Man City, we gave them a great game. I was, I was going to say besides Man City, there's not any team at home. I think we can't beat. So I was very confident going into the game and we'll talk about it in a minute. And I think the performance was, was good, but again, we're just lacking that, that final finish. Yeah, we've only been beaten by Liverpool and Manchester City at St James's Park since Eddie Howe came in, which is really good. Um, but so other teams will not be looking forward to coming to St James's. I think it is turning into a bit of a fortress, and I think a lot of teams will be daunted. Uh, we'll talk about the lineup in a minute and some of the problems that we had arising from that. But just before we get into the game, I just want to talk about Eddie Howe's pre-match press conference because. A lot of the national journalists started uh, getting a little bit excited about this. They got they got a little bit exercised about this because what what Eddie Howe said, right? He said he said domestic clubs didn't want to be seen to be helping us in the transfer market. He said no one is there is ready to do us a favor. He said teams will put their prices up if it's Newcastle. He said that is part of where we are at the moment. And he said, there's a real feeling of us internally knowing that we are against everybody else. So I think that was over a couple of different questions. Um, this was interpreted by the press. It was interpreted by the local press who were there as Eddie Howe about the fact that other teams wouldn't sell as players. There was a headline, and I think it was the Daily Mail, saying that Eddie Howe had been moaning. One of them said that he was taking aim at his rivals for not selling his players. <laughs> and they kind of generally made out that he was complaining about unfair treatment, which if you actually listen to the press conference, anybody who listens to Eddie Howe press conferences know that he doesn't moan, he doesn't complain. We're going to talk later about the fact maybe he should a little bit more in, yes. in regards to some things. <laughs> but what happened was that the local press came out with that and then all of a sudden, the usual suspects from the national press who get on their moral high horse about Saudi Arabia started piling into it and saying it was hilarious that Eddie Howe expected us just to be able to walk into the top four, blah, 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 because we got taken over by the blood money and all this stuff. So I, I don't know what. This, this kind of comes up in flashpoints at different points. So it happened against Chelsea as well last season where the national press got into it. But it seems to be like this coordinated thing where they all jump on something or maybe one of them jumps on it and then the others think, oh, I can't let him get on the moral high horse first. I've got to get in there as well. But, Dimmy, what do you think this is about, this kind of this kind of stuff that happens whenever Howe says something like that? I think I'm sort of accepting it now that it's, it's, it's always going to happen. I think we've never, we've never been a club that provokes a lot of positive reaction from the non-local press. So anything that a manager, a player or anybody says is, is going to be scrutinised. And I mean, I, I can probably guarantee you that all those national press journalists who made that comment on, on their socials, I can guarantee they never watched the full press conference. They probably only read the quotes from Eddie, didn't know the context of what was going on. So I think it's something we have to accept. But I think the, the general point from Eddie's right. I think teams know that, that we're coming and we've got a project, we've got a plan in place that we want to, upset the apple card and I don't think your southern clubs and your southern London journalists are too happy about northeast football especially us sort of throwing that throwing that awry so I think take it on the chin and move on it's you sort of just laugh at it at this stage there was some suggestion that 
uh, Arsenal had been silly with us trying to get angry Maitland-Niles on loan and also that West Ham were asking for big money for that their young right back who we went in for apparently asking for 8 million for him um, so I think he was just being factual like about the situation you know the fact that he, he wasn't he wasn't saying we want we expect to do normal business with these clubs or we expect special favours or anything I think he was just Telling the truth, Keegan, do you think that about the situation, about the fact that it is difficult at the moment? He definitely wasn't complaining yeah. about it. Yeah, like even whether, I don't know how much truth is in this or not, but at the start of the window when sort of Dean Henderson's name was thrown around and the prices we got quoted compared to what he went to Forest for were like double. Like it's just, <laughs> and then these are facts. Like this is the world that we operate in at the moment. Like we do get targeted by other clubs because of who we are and what we have. And there's definitely a fear there because they've got their own little top six party. They sort of have amongst themselves and we're going to be the intruders coming in and they don't want that. They're happy with their little click they've got up there and their super six, their super league, whatever the hell that was bloody called. Like they don't want anyone else coming in and spoiling their little party they've got going on there. So they're going to, make it as hard as possible for us. The players that we sort of expressed an interest in there, like there was three or four players and they just made it untenable for us. But for the national media, it's it's more political point scoring and mm. rather than what if they truly believed what they wrote, they wouldn't get an Uber and they wouldn't drink Coca-Cola mm. and, and all this. Like they just pick and choose which bloody moral high horse they want to jump on on any given day yeah. and and what it is at the moment it's going to be probably three or four times a year it's going to be our high horse they jump on yeah one of them one of them suggested it was funny that people were offended that player clubs wouldn't sell players in newcastle i just think like i don't no one's offended about it you know we, if anything we could probably take it as a compliment that we are actually seen as a threat so we don't we don't expect anyone to do his favors by selling us players. You know, we we we'll just try and do business as best we can. And if we can't do business with Premier League clubs, which we have done a bit, by the way, we've signed Target and Burn and those Burnley players as well. But if we can't do that, we'll probably just go to Europe and get players for better value anyway. You know, probably. So um it's just it's interesting the way it sort of comes up in these flashpoints. And like you said, Dimmy, it is part of the um, it's just what we're going to have to deal with now. The criticism, that's fine. Um, but what it is doing, which I think is really good, is it's really fostering this kind of siege mentality that is is coming in now. And it came in, it started probably at Liverpool. I think Liverpool is going to be kind of a, a memorable game for the fact that there was that video of their, their players, their fans booing us off because they didn't like the uh, time wasting and things like that. But it's this kind of like, this siege mentality and Eddie has said after that game that he doesn't care about, you know, making other people happy or, you know, he wants to be booed off if it means that because we're here to compete and we're here to win. We're not here to make friends. Um, do you think now, Dimmy, that Eddie Howe is trying to deliberately foster like a siege mentality? Uh, do you th- and do you think that, because this is something that, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a classic playbook of um, what managers like Mourinho and Ferguson have done previously where they say it's us against the world and We've got to fight against this. Do you think Eddie's doing this or do you think this is just 
what's happened in the course of the last few games. I don't think consciously he is, but I think he can see what's what's been generating now in in the media and in in circles. I think he's probably thinking, look, this is what the narrative is going to be about us. Any game we play, there's going to be criticism. There's going to be something that someone jumps on that your usual suspects, like you said, are going to jump on. So why not use that in our favour and sort of garner that we've already got a great team spirit in in the team and the fans are fully behind the manager, fully behind the, the players. So why not garner that even more and make it a real hostile club to play and team to play? And every time you play Newcastle for 90, 90 minutes or 98 minutes like it was at Anfield, you're going to get a game. And we're not going to roll... 95. <laughs> we're, not going to, we're not going to roll over like Bournemouth, all due respect to Bournemouth, and just let them tickle our belly and score nine goals. That's not going to be us. So I'm all for it. What about yeah, you, Keegan? Do you think this is a siege mentality that we're getting going? Yeah, like... Honestly, look, I know we've spoken about it at length, but do you think Jurgen Klopp would be carrying on like that if they were playing Fulham and it was 1-1? Mm. Of, of course he wouldn't because Fulham are no threat to Liverpool. Like, and they, Unless something drastic changes, which it can because it changed with us as well, but people are starting to worry about us. Like, And like Dimmy said, just because we actually went to Anfield and tried to do something and and get something out of the game. Well, they just expect everyone to rock up there. And they get frustrated because when people go there, Liverpool have their way with them. Like, mm. they've won how many games in a row they won at home. Like, and if someone goes there and it, they're like a bully, they just bully teams. And when someone actually has a go back, they all sort of get offended and, you know, you can't do that. They get really angry and frustrated because someone's actually had a go back at them. Like, it's, it's good, and that's the mentality I want in the team. I want them to be shitheads, and I want them to be hard mm. to play against. And yeah. I want them not to care what anyone else thinks about them except the staff, the people who are at the club, and the fans that support the club, and that's all they need to worry about. Yeah. Klopp, Klopp's behaviour was pathetic. Uh, I'm, I was not on the pod that you, you guys were on last week, but he's just – he used to be quite, like – quite good and a bit of a breath of fresh air. And then the last two or three years, I don't know what's happened, but maybe maybe he's just kind of come to the conclusion that that's what he wants for Liverpool as well, to be the team, you know, that siege mentality and get everyone against them or draw the attention to himself. But whatever it is, it's getting under people's skin and it's really annoying. So I hope that we can give him his comeuppance when they come back up to St. James's Park. I think that would yeah. be a good a He's good probably doing that, that as well because they've started like shit. And he's yeah, trying to take yeah. the heat off the team, but it's just sort of making it about himself and, and carrying on like a lunatic on the sideline to take the heat off his team of like they've probably nearly lost the league already because they've been they've had such a poor start. So he's just trying to deflect. And that, that's what good managers do. Mourinho done it a, a yeah. lot. Like <laughs> would yeah. just go on rants about stuff just to take the heat off other people. Yeah, or to to draw attention from the fact that his team had played badly. Yeah. So to to draw the criticism away from that, and we we are going to talk about Eddie and his reaction to the VAR calls we've had, and and question whether that could be something that he could get a bit more experienced at or get a bit better at to benefit us more. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. We'll have a very quick break, and then we will get into talking about the match against Crystal Palace.
All right, so this was the first home game that we'd had off off the back of three away games. We'd had the the League Cup game and the Wolves game and the Liverpool game. Been a hard it's been a hard week. It's been a hard couple of weeks. We've had a few injuries. Unfortunately for this game, we didn't have St. Maximan or Bruno or Callum Wilson, who's still injured. So this was the team where I had Pope in goal, Trippier, Sharon Botman came back in centre back and Target at left back. At the mid, same midfield of Longstaff, Willock, and Joe Linson, and the front three of Ryan Fraser, Miggy, and Alexander Isak. Um, unfortunately, even uh, Maxi and Bruno couldn't make the bench. So it was a problem, wasn't it, Dimmy? That we're, we're missing three key players here. And it's, we don't know what's going to happen with Isak and Wilson when Wilson does get fit again, whether they're going to play up front together or Isak might come out wide or something like that. But we've talked about this. You know, a lot of times before, but the team is significantly weakened, isn't it, when we don't have those two players in the midfield in particular? Yeah, at this stage of our rise and development, I don't think we can afford to carry three of our best players out for, for multiple games at a time. I think we've done really well in the last week or so to sort of battle and get as many points as we can. I think a, a team in, in our position, in our stage of development, you take the three best players out. I don't think any team is going to be performing the way out we are or is going to be able to grind out results. So I think it's it's definitely these guys have done a great job, especially that midfield three who've basically played the whole 90 minutes for the last four games in however many days we've had. So, yeah, it, it is frustrating, but I think the next week off is going to be great for us and I think um, we'll have a different 11 for the next week. Yeah, Willick even started the League Cup game as well. So he, yeah. I think he's the only player who started every... All seven games this season so far. Keegan, anything that stood out for you there? Anything to pick out? No, no. I think it's it's probably the best best eleven we could pick at this point in time. Given yeah, like you said, our injuries and stuff like that. And yeah, like Dimmy said, and it's probably going to take maybe two or three windows for us just to get a few more players into to fatten up the depth where we can cover the loss of two or three injuries or midweek game or whatever it may be, we do have that ability to rotate the squad around it and still have enough quality to get something out. But yeah, yeah, it's just it's the best we've got at the moment. So what that's all we can go with. We were worried as well that Isak might be out because he suffered a, a dead leg or as you guys call it, a corky. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first I didn't know. I honestly didn't know what a dead leg was until last week. <laughs> I actually just yeah. thought like his his leg was asleep, you know, like if you lay on it or I'm like, oh, like how does he not play? Like it's just a dead leg. Can they not like revive it? What's the go? <laughs> yeah, it's like black it's and corky. falling off. Oh, okay, yeah, I know. <laughs> I can understand why he's not playing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you you guys call um, bouncy castles jumping castles as well, so you're a bit weird when it comes to lingo. Bouncy castles, did you say? <laughs> what the hell's a yeah. bouncy castle? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Isak, we were worried that Isak was going to be might be injured. But then in the morning, he was on the club socials that they were releasing. So I think it became... It's funny that social media is now an indicator of who's going to be playing as well. Because it is actually true that Bruno hasn't been tweeting when he hasn't been playing, obviously, because no. he's been injured. And fans have picked up on that. But Isak was on the club socials in the morning. So I think we knew that he was going to start. Um. And the centre-backs changed as well. So Lascelles and Byrne had played against Liverpool. So it's good that we've got that 
that strength and depth. We've obviously have got four centre backs, um, and Botman and Share came back in for this one. Um, Dan Boom was on the bench. But again, like we've talked about this, you look at the bench and there's not really any game changes there, is there? And you know, even even if we did have those three players, there's still not necessarily going to be a great amount of game changes because the players that we had on the pitch, like Fraser and Mickey, even really, you're not really looking at them to come off the bench and create something because their their numbers for scoring goals and assisting goals are not that good. Um, so yeah, the bench is still a bit of an issue there, isn't it, Dimmy? Definitely. I think there is one player on that bench that I think is becoming a game changer. And we'll probably talk about him a bit later, but I think Elliot Anderson could be yeah. that jaw in the crown that he, he just looks amazing. I mean, we'll get into it in a minute, but we will. he yeah. looks fantastic off the bench. And I think he could be that game changer that we can use off the bench. Yeah. Uh, have a little quick look at the Palace team. Palace have had a quite a decent start. They've also played against Liverpool and Man City. Um They've had a fairly good start. Zahar, I think, has scored four goals already this season. So you look at their team, pretty good, isn't it, Keegan? Really, they've got some decent players in there. Yeah, yeah, I think that they're a really well balanced team as well. Like, I know obviously Zahar's one of their key players, but they've still got enough quality around him to not like we were a couple of years ago, where everyone just sort of jumps on Maxi because that's the only threat that we had, and mm. they're actually really well balanced. And even like, um. Eduardo on the bench, like he, he's done some good things for them since he's gone there as well. So they they do have that punch that can come off the bench and change a game. And I think when they made that triple sub as well, I think they started yeah. getting on top a little bit when they when they brought them three players on. So mm. yeah, Anderson's a good centre back as well. He's yeah he's quite good when he was at Fulham, but they've done well because they they lost about they lost to almost an entire first team of players. The season before last through end of contract and that's when Hodgson left as well and then Vieira came in and pe- many people thought they might get relegated because they were doing a big kind of overhaul but they've seemed to have signed well and they've done they've done well and they've got some pretty good players mm. in there he's done a great job there yeah he's done really well um so so we got into the game um and the first half the big the big chance came for Isak so he's he was he was through one on one, but I, I just want to point out that he did actually create that chance for himself as well by pressing and closing down. Mm. So he robbed Anderson, and then he got through one on one, and he, he missed the chance. He tried to kind of dink it instead of either going around the keeper or sort of putting it past him a bit earlier in the move, maybe. And I couldn't help thinking about another Scandinavian striker that Newcastle had lot. <laughs> lot chance like that who knows who I'm talking about here it's probably it's before your time Dimmy probably John Dal John Dal Thomason John Dal Thomason John Dal Thomason wasn't supposed to be playing games at that age he was 19 but then Shearer went and got injured in pre-season and was just so less Ferdinand (laughs) and it just it did remind me a bit of that because he was clean through and gold as well against Sheffield Wednesday and he just missed I think it was against Sheffield Wednesday and he missed the chance I think Isak's going to be a better player for us than John Dal Thomason was, but I hope so. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was a pressure, kind of a pressure moment, and I don't know if he was too kind of square on the goalkeeper, where it's too much of a straight line. Uh, what did you think, Dimmy, about the chance? He should have taken it, shouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. I think you've you've nailed it there. He was definitely too square on. I think 
it's one of those ones where you've got so much time to think about it. He's probably thinking, I can mm. chip him, I can round him, I can open myself up. And then that last touch, if you notice, he just didn't get it out of his feet properly. So he sort of left himself with the only chip to do and the keeper had come out probably right in front of him. So to chip from that position where he was would have been very difficult. I think, I think yeah, if he had his time again, probably would have opened himself up and just slotted it either side of the keeper, like we saw him do against against Liverpool. So definitely a frustrating one, but one of those ones where it, it looks easy because you've got all the time in the world, but sometimes those ones aren't the easier ones when you have too much time to think about it. Yeah, you look at his one against Liverpool, um, the first one, and he the one that actually counted. And he'd see there's just one touch bang into the roof of the net. And yeah. the second one, he did have the time, but it was more difficult because he was trying to take players on as well. Mm. It wasn't like he was clean through. But Keegan, you said, that, like me, you were a bit nervous before this game. That miss probably didn't do anything to settle your kind of nerves at that stage. Do you think it was going to be mm. one of those days? Yeah, I did, because that's all you want. <laughs> all you want when you're worried about a game, if, to get an early one, you know what I mean? And just, okay, we've got, we've got one. We know we can defend. We're a really good defensive team. So let's just get one early. And then I was hoping for like a forest sort of thing. You know what I mean? One, they might come up and play a bit higher, leave a bit more room for us to attack and we can get another one. But yeah, yeah, I'm with Dimmy. I think he had way too much time to think about it. He's a 22-year-old kid who, as talented as he is, they still don't have them habits ingrained in them. Like they just sort of play on instinct and like that, Goal against Liverpool was just touch bang. Like that was just mm-hmm. an instinctive strike. And then young kid, a bit immature still, has too much time to think about what he can do. And he ends up probably caught up, ball gets stuck, like Dimmy said, stuck in his feet. And he ends up, that's pretty much the only option he had was to do that because of the position he was in. But yeah. flip it over, I think going forward, he like, that won't happen again. He'll learn from that. And then next time he's in that position, it'll be a goal. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about his overall performance in a bit because it's worth touching on it. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't his day, it's fair to say, but he, he still showed some good touches. He, and like I said, he created that chance for himself as well, uh, not only by the initial block of the ball, but also his first touch His first touch after that was really good because it set mm. him ahead. It and got it him away from everyone, didn't it? Yeah. So... By the that was on about 15 minutes, and the next the next 15 minutes, Palace were a little bit on top. They had more of the more of the game, but then the last 15 minutes of the half was just a barrage of assault on the Palace, Crystal Palace goal, and we just really really took command from that point on. We should have scored a couple of goals, definitely. We had chances from corners. Miggy hit the post. I don't think we had anything that was really clear cut, but just by sheer volume of attempts on goal. Like, on on the 30-minute mark, Palace had had six shots to our three, but then by half-time, we'd had 14 shots to their seven and we'd had six corners to one. <laughs> so, we it was that 15-minute spell where we, we needed to... We're going to talk about the attacking deficiencies maybe in a little bit as well, but we needed to score at that point. Dimmy, you, you must have felt at half-time we should have been ahead by that point. Definitely. I think that it was an absolute barrage, like you said, on the Palace goal. And you were just waiting for one of those set pieces of ball to drop to us. And there was a couple of chances there. The ball fell to Botman, then it was blocked. The ball almost fell for Joe Linton. It was sort of cleared away from the goal line. It was one of those things that the ball just wasn't falling, but there was just a mirage of chances inside the six-yard box that 
we just couldn't put our foot on. But again, it highlighted our deficiency without Wilson. As young as I, as good as Isaac was against Liverpool, but without Wilson, we don't have that clinical finisher where something happens in the box, there's going to be someone to finish. And I think that just that just exacerbated that issue in the last 15 minutes when we were dominating. We just couldn't have a finisher in the 18-yard box. Yeah. Keegan, you'd, you'd pulled some stats on corners as well from the Wolves game as well. That was the other one where I had lots of corners. Mm. But we need to we need to improve, don't we, from the set-piece situation because we're getting a lot of corners every yeah. almost every game, apart from the Liverpool game. Yeah. But we're not well, doing much with them. No. Well, every every game so far, whether it's the first or second corner, the commentary always speaks about the threat and the height that we have in the box and we're going to be a handful and stuff like that. But the facts are we've had 45 corners in the league this year and not scored from one. Like that's yeah. that's a it's alarming and it's it's something that needs to be addressed, I think, pretty urgently because if we're going to be this front foot team who attack and attack and put teams on the back foot and we get a lot of corners, like we've got to start taking our chances from them. And not not just corners, goals, goals in general. Like we've scored seven goals for the mm. season. And if you think back, like Shars was an absolute worldie. Even Wilson's that Forest game was a top draw goal. What we didn't score Brighton, the Man City game. Um, what Miggy scored one off his dick. Um, Trippier's <laughs> free kick. And Wilson's Wilson's finish in that game was really that was a great mm. goal. And then we go to Wolves, Maxi's world class goal of season contender as well. Like we're scoring worldies and we're just not converting the chances we get. And, and uh, like as we get on a VAR and all the debate mm. around they've cost us and stuff like that. But I think sometimes we've actually got to stick our own hands up and say, we're, we're not converting what we should be converting at the same time. Like as much as it is on the officials and, and technology and conspiracy theories and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes you've got to stick your own hand up and say, like part of this is on us and, the fact we've only won one game as well, like that's on us as well. Like we can't just mm. be blaming everyone all the time. We've got to take some responsibility. I was, uh, I was like really enraged after the after this game, and immediately afterwards, I went on Twitter, and that was that was what I was yeah. kind of getting at when I said I, I tweeted saying that we didn't do enough to win the game, and that that was what I meant. We weren't taking our chances, even though yeah. we should have. We, we had enough chances to score four or five goals. But um, you still have to put the chances away. Um, Dimmy, do you think this is purely down to the quality of players that we've got missing at the moment? Or do you think there's something else, little, maybe some little tweaks that need to happen for us to start putting some of these in? Or do you just think someone's going to take an absolute pound in one day from us? I think ladder. I think the Bournemouth game could be could be a fun one, especially for us who's going to be up in or down in Sydney for... For that uh, that catch yeah. up, but I think is that a, a good one for you guys team. or a good one for the team? <laughs> Which one are you talking about? Both, both, <laughs> both. If there's plenty of goals, it'll be a definitely good night for both. But uh, I, I think someone's due a battering. That's true, but but also it's a combination of things. I mean, when you're missing your two best players in the attacking third, we aren't going to be as sharp and as good. That that's clear. But Keegan's also right. We have to be better from set pieces. We have to be better in the final third. I think always in, in in football, I think the attacking third is always obviously the hardest. You can coach a defense. Everyone can be get a defense that's organized, but the attacking third is the last thing that sort of clicks. So you're just hoping with us that that's going to click soon once we get the players. 
back that we need. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's right, Dimmy. Like if you look at what we've signed since the the two transfer windows I've had, it's been very, very defensive minded. Like I think uh Isak and Bruno are basically the only two attacking player. Even Bruno was signed as a defensive midfielder anyway, really. Like that mm. that was where he was playing. So as well as he's done, Isak's basically the only attacking player we've signed in two transfer windows. And I think it's starting to show mm. Like with our with our scoring and ability, especially when Wilson gets injured, what where we are at the moment now. Thankfully, what we've got, what twelve games left before we can start buying players again. So hopefully we can <laughs> sort of, <laughs> hopefully we can make do with what we've got for twelve more games, get a few more wins, and then I think January we're going to sign them two or three attacking players that we desperately need at the moment. Yeah, there's a little bit of an imbalance there, and the, the they've made a clear strategy decision to build from the back, so to buy the yeah, which which is the right way, the defenders, which is the right way to go because it means that we're not going to be losing games even if we're not winning yeah. them necessarily. Um, we would have won this game if fucking VAR hadn't uh, hadn't done what it did. <laughs> so let's talk about this, right? This this is just getting worse and worse. Uh, this this was the worst of any of the decisions I think that we've had against us from referees or from from VAR in the last couple of seasons. I'll always talk, think about that Chelsea game where Havertz wasn't sent off for elbow and burn and then he scored right yeah. at the end. And also Jacob Murphy was fouled and we didn't get a penalty for that. So I always think about that game. But this decision was just dis- disgraceful. It was and there were so many things that went wrong with the VAR and with what the referee did and the way the whole process that goes behind it. So this is the fourth time in the last three games that we've been disadvantaged by a referee decision. There was the Longstaff shirt pull at Wolves. There was the Isak offside at Liverpool and all of that extra time that was added. So this isn't like an inexact, inexact science, but we would, we would be fourth potentially if we had the points from those games that we would have got from those decisions if they'd gone our way. Martin Ziegler, one of the uh, journalists, said that on Twitter, which I thought was really good, he said, VAR was intended to prevent serious referee mistakes, not create them, which I thought was really a really good way of putting it because we're not the only team that's been screwed this weekend. Um, today, the PGMOL, the um, Professional Games, something official, I don't know, it's basically the referee body, they have effectively accepted that the decisions were wrong. Ooh, thanks, guys. That's great. And they're going to cooperate with the Premier League in a review. Ooh, isn't this exciting? They're going to use the outcome as part of an ongoing assessment of weekly performance performances oh. of its match officials. And apparently, hey, Jack, did you just say they're going to review? They're going to they're going to use it as part of a review. Um, they'll probably fuck um, their review up as well. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's not Lee, Lee Mason on the review. Yeah. <laughs> but Luke Edwards has reported that we're going to lodge an official complaint as well. Like, I don't know what, you know, what good that's going to do, whether that's going to do anything. What's going on? Dimmy, you, you, you had the unfortunate um, experience of talking about this a few days ago as well with Liverpool, but although that wasn't VAR in that, on that occasion, or would have been VAR if they'd, if they'd actually looked at the offside properly. What the hell's going on? Like, what 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 is happening with this video-assisted referee? It, uh, over to you. What's happening? Well, it's fucked. Just put it simply, <laughs> yeah. it's fucked. Um, the the issue is 
the VAR is re-referring the game. And VAR was never brought in to re-ref the game. It was brought in for the howler, for the obvious penalty, for the obvious red card. That's what it was brought in for. But for some reason, this season, last season, in in the Premier League, even in, in other leagues in the world as well, these idiots in their VAR towers and their ivory towers are thinking, oh, no, I want to get involved. I'm the VAR. Look at me. Look at me. Come look at the TV. Come look at the TV. And um, and it's and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, the the fact that on the weekend, your your VAR official or whoever it was, Lee Mason, I think you said it was, the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't even show all the camera angles to the on-field referees is just ridiculous. I mean, that's just it's amateur hour. It's amateur hour at its best. This is. This is interesting as well because Lee Mason is a. I think he's actually retired from match refereeing now, but he's still in the in the VAR box or whatever they want to call it. The referee was inexperienced. He'd only play. I think he'd only refereed seven games before this. Do, is because there's a difference, isn't there, Keegan? If the if the referee in the VAR is saying to the on pitch referee, "You've got to go and have a look at this." Are they actually saying to him, you've made a mistake here and you need to go and have a look and correct it? Or are they just saying to him, just go and have a look at it and see what you think. Have a second look with a few different camera angles. Because that makes a big difference, especially if you've got an inexperienced ref who thinks, oh, the the man, the experienced guy is telling me I've made a mistake here. I better go and do that and change my decision. Because they very rarely do change the decision when they go and look at the monitor. What do you think, Keegan? Yeah, it's... I don't I might be in the minority here. I actually like it. I I think it's needed and it works well when it's used properly. Like it has a place in the game to like you said for goals that are given or not given whatever or dangerous tackles that are missed by the referee. Like it does have a place in the game, but at the moment it's like Timmy said the actual function of it is it, they've just tits it up like it's it's nowhere near used for what it should be used at the moment. And, and you know, like the TV camera, you could actually see the referee watching the replays on the screen over when, when he was checking it out. And, like, the fact that he wasn't actually showing the, the conclusive replay that showed the incident clearly. Like, if you look at the ones he was given, that's why he made the decision because it actually looks mm-hmm. like that Willex jumped into him from the footage that he was shown. But I'm like you. Like, unless he... There was a few players in the box, and I haven't watched the replay to try and gauge where he was when the goal went in and if he could see or couldn't see. But, I mean, if I think inexperience does play a part in it. Like, if, if this is a guy who's had over 50 matches, I think mm. he'll, have the, he'll have the courage to tell him, no, no, this is, this is what I've seen and, and this, is, this is what I'm going to stick with because that's what I thought I've seen at, at the time. Like, But even then... You've got to give him the full gamut of footage that you have, so he can make the the right decision at the time. Like, I don't understand this. This league is worth poor mm. billions and billions of dollars. How they can't actually find the correct angle that shows the clear and without any doubt what actually happened in the incident, like. I'm actually surprised they've stuck their hand up and said they got it wrong. Like I thought they might go down that there was a technical, uh, like a technology error at the time that which they couldn't get that shot 
into into the, the footage that the referee was looking at or something like that. So I suppose that's one minor positive is they've actually stuck their hand up and accepted it. And But I, I just think it, it needs to be used for what it was intended for, is the, just the clear and, and blatant error that's missed mm. by, by the on-field referee rather than every decision basically that involves a goal or a dangerous challenge. Yeah, because, because this, like, you shouldn't be seeing VAR in every game, you know. It should be... Maybe it should be maybe once a weekend across the whole league, you know. Like referees and officials get a bad rap, but generally, like it's a hard job they do, and they they do a good job, or they used to do a good job, you know. Um, I think it, it is it is this re-referee thing now where they think they've got the technology, so they have to use it all the time, you know. Um, mm. I think football fans used to accept to an extent that that referees are human and linesmen are human and they're not going to get everything absolutely spot on all the time. And sometimes you've got decisions going for you and sometimes you've got them going against you. But this just adds like an extra layer of like rage and uh, like more to be like disbelieving and, and confused about as well. Because, and when it, when it comes like this and you've had like these, this amount of bad decisions in such a short space of time, it's building up into something that uh, I've said quite a few times i don't believe in corruption i don't believe that there's some coordinated uh, attempt to keep newcastle down or to keep west ham down they're another club who got absolutely fucked this weekend as well but i do think it's just incompetence and i think there's maybe like an unconscious bias towards top six clubs as well um interestingly there was a referee that got sent to the look at the monitor at the, at the forest game against bournemouth for a penalty he gave and it was Michael Oliver, Geordie referee, and he said, "No, that was the right decision I made," and he stuck with it. And that, that maybe that's because he's an experienced referee. I don't know who the VAR referee was for that. But talking about managers' reactions to it as well, like that, this unconscious bias that I think goes towards top top six big clubs. Ferguson used to just bang on about referees all the time. Man United, Klopp does it. Tuchel's been doing it as well. Conte it does was, it all the time. Conte well. does it all the time. It so, was yeah. it's Go not on. a it's a it's not a big six conspiracy, but there's a clear I don't know what the word is, but the top six managers carry on a lot more than what the other mm. 14 managers do. And I think it's it's not a bias because of you know we can't let anyone else into the top six because that's gonna ruin, like I said earlier, it's gonna ruin what they've got. I just think that they sort of lean lean towards them a little bit more because they're more vocal and, and carry mm. on and they get in their ear. And, and whether you like it or not, that's what happens. Like It's the same when you play at home. Like You'd think sometimes any 50-50s, the refs, the sort of thing. Sometimes, Dimmy would say it as well, in footy they call it the, the noise of affirmation. You know what I mean? Like mm. if you've got 50,000 people screaming like this or that, like sometimes the ref will lean one way because the, that's what the noise is telling him. And it's the same as... Yeah, they panic. Yeah, it's the same as when the managers are, are carrying on like idiots on the mm. sidelines and like go back to the Liverpool game again. Every time the camera was on Klopp, he's either yelling at someone or he's yelling at the fourth official. Like he was doing it the whole game. And mm. like that's what they do. Like it, it's probably a tactic by them as well. Like they know what they're doing and they know the benefits of it. Yeah. And I want to come to Dimmy on this because I know that you've got an opinion about this, but 
Alan Shearer completely lost his shit on match of the day about this decision. Um, David Moyes, West Ham had just an, an equally bad decision as we had uh, against Chelsea to stop them getting the equaliser. He went crazy as well in his interview afterwards. You've probably seen Declan Rice in the tunnel accusing the referee <laughs> of taking taking a bug. Uh, Moyes didn't quite go that far, but he was really vocal and angry about it. Eddie Howe said that he was... He, he said in his really calm and uh, balanced way that he was disappointed and that he agreed with Alan Shearer's assessment, but he didn't like lose it and he didn't let rip about it. Dimmy, you feel like he should be giving them both barrels here, don't you? And really giving his thoughts. Yeah, may, maybe that's just me. I'm, I'm an emotional bloke who <laughs> would fly off the handle at that sort of thing. But I think it's there comes a time where we're, we're six games into the season. We've already had five decisions at least. Big decisions go against us that change games. So you've got to stand up for your club. I've Interestingly, I heard Stavely, I think it was this morning or last night, have some comments interviewed at the at the NUFC women's game about how we need to get some clarification about what's going on with the officials. But I think there comes a time where you have to lose your shit like Moyes did and, and just say, this is actually not good enough. We're paid to do a job, so are referees. And if they're not doing their job properly, sort them out. Send them, like, like we say in, the, in AFL here, send them to the bush. Keegan will know what I mean. That, that means... <laughs> Send them to Division it's Four, not a Division Five. It's not a root. No, it's not a root reference. It means <laughs> send them to send them to non-league. Send them wherever you want to send them. Yeah, send them to Wrexham. Make them work to Wrexham. <laughs> send them to Wrexham with Ryan Reynolds, and yeah. so um, so they can so they can actually get to their job uh, properly. Get doing doing their job properly. They're not doing their job properly at the moment, and I think it's time for Eddie to to lose his shit. Yeah. Moises, Moises has done this a few times and it doesn't seem to have done him any good. Um, Eddie is such kind of a balanced person, but I'm kind of swaying towards you, Dimmy, that I think he's going to, it's going to be better if he does come out with organs blazing a little bit. Um, not to get himself like sent off or to get banned or anything like that. Jesse Marsh, the Leeds manager, got himself sent off for uh, appealing against a, a decision in the middle of the game, which by the way, that was, they should have had a penalty as well, which the, which the the referee wasn't even sent to have a look at. So that's what we're talking about, the inconsistency. What do you think, Keegan? Do you think Eddie should be on the attack here? No, because that's not him. Like, we've seen, like, you can't, you can't pretend you're someone you're not. Like, I'm big on that, not just in here, but, like, life in general. Like, you have to be you. You, you can't pretend you be someone else. So you should send Tyndall in there instead. <laughs> <laughs> the mad dog. Tyndall's the mad dog of the two. They're like good cop, bad cop. Tyndall's the bad cop. So I think sometimes if if he thinks that things aren't going his way, he should just say, look, I'm not doing this interview and send Tyndall and just say, uh, Jason, go your hardest, mate. Go harder than the tan beds, mate. Just light them up and I'll pay you fine. Don't worry about it. Just let loose because... He's the one during the game. He's the one that's screaming and carrying on to the fourth official all the time. Eddie's always calm and balanced and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I don't think that's him. And he can't be someone he's not. So t yeah, Tyndall's the mad bastard. So just get Tyndall to do it. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that Eddie Howe's kind of um, reasonable personality and his calm, balanced demeanor is actually a perfect fit for Newcastle in lots of ways. 
Uh, we've had <laughs> we've had managers before that would have lost their shit about this, um, but I'm not I'm not sure what it actually does achieve. Like maybe if they try and go through the right channels, but but it doesn't get us those two points back, you know, which is what we really which is what we really need what and what we really want. And we just don't want this to keep happening uh, as as time goes on. You know, we, we need to start, stop being a victim of these decisions. Um, but at the same time, there was still time left in the game after for us to win it as well. So I think there's definitely an element that we need to stop getting these decisions, but we, we need to do what we can do as well. And this is what I think Eddie said as well. We need to do what we can do in, in the game to do what we can to win the game despite the officials um and if things do balance out like the like that old saying things balance out then we're gonna have a period of the season where we're gonna get some good decisions in our favor <laughs> we could score 15 no chance game, i reckon <laughs> absolutely no chance that's happening i think as well a couple of more things on this it's disappointing that the the managers of the teams that have benefited from these decisions have come out and said that they agree with them because it's just bollocks. Like Vieira came out and said he's seen it and he yeah. thinks he, he agrees with it. And Tuchel did the same thing. Uh, he said that they got screwed against Spurs. So, like, it, it doesn't yeah, help. Just be honest. It doesn't. Like, yeah, be honest. It doesn't help matters for them to come out and say they're not gonna. They're not gonna they take agree. the point totally. off it because yeah, exactly. Said, like, oh no, we we probably shouldn't have got that one actually. Like, they're, <laughs> they're not gonna do. They better yeah, give it back. Take, take it back. Yeah, change the score. Yeah, yeah change the score. So he, He's not going to – they don't concede anything, like Tuchel and stuff like that, because it, it might be sub, subconsciously they think, no, no, like we're the, we're, the alpha, we're the alpha dogs here, like we're the big boys, like we're going to carry on and keep – if we sort of concede that we didn't get what we wanted or we got something we shouldn't have got, then they might think, well, next time we're not going to get it. Like it's a 50-50 mm-hmm. and it might not go our way. Like that's them. Like they're never going to admit – that something was wrong that went for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's just but, who they are. But, and that's fair enough. They don't have to do that, but they could still just say, like... I didn't see it. I haven't seen the incident. Yeah, yet. Like, do, like, do, do a Wenger or something, you know? It's, yeah. um, it, it's, not good for, like, it's not good for the game for these decisions to keep happening. Like Because eventually they will be on the wrong end of one, you know? Maybe when, the, when yeah. Chelsea play another top six club. They'll be on the wrong end of it, and then we'll be complaining about it. Like they already have yeah. been against Spurs this season, according to Tuchel. So, but yeah, they... even even you could they need some like, and this will never happen either. But that the refereeing body have some kind of accountability as well. Like if players don't play well, they get dropped from the side. If a referee has a bad game, or or the VAR person in charge of VAR has a bad game, like they should say. Oh, this official has been what Dimmy said. They've been demoted to like mm-hmm. the championship, and, and maybe that'll increase their performance because they know that if they don't perform, they're going to get dropped. But it's going to be public, like publicly sort of mm. announced. So they do have that pressure on them as well that they can't hide anymore. Like they can't just hide behind their decisions with no repercussions or or nothing like that because like this is big business. There's a lot of lot of money involved in the mm-hmm. game at the moment for these guys just to hide behind their the decisions and not have to answer or even like you might get the wrong decision, but at least come out and explain how you got there. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's no transparency and it doesn't have, you don't have to be every decision. Like really there'd be one or two 
decisions over 10 games on the weekend where it might be a little bit contentious and they've mm. got it one way when some persons might have seen it or a few people might have seen it the other way. That's okay if you come if, if that's what you did, then that's fine. But just come out and explain how you actually ended up where you got there. And then that mm. might give people a better understanding as well of like how the game's officialed and, and stuff like that. Like there might be less outrage if they actually explain mm. how they get to where they got to. I remember Paul Alcock, who's one of the old referees. I was at a game at Old Trafford where we drew nil-nil, but Shearer was fouled in the box and we should have had a penalty. And he came out after the game and it was really unusual. He came out and said that was a mistake. And I remember that. That was yet two decades ago now, but I vividly remember that happening Um, and the respect you give to the referee for just coming out and saying he made a mistake, you know? Mm. The point with VAR is they're not supposed to be making mistakes. Or and in our case, he hadn't made a mistake until the no, he was VAR right. told him to go and have a look at it. It's ridiculous, mm. isn't it? But I just want to talk about the last thing on VAR, definitely, because we've done about twenty-five minutes on it. Oh god! <laughs> but the 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 player the player reaction thing's a funny thing as well. And the reason I want to talk about this is because something oh, similar know, happened. In, something similar happened <laughs> yeah. in that Aussie rules. It's a shame Bobby's not it. on this pod. Richmond deserved it, so um, it doesn't matter. You, you look at you look at Mitchell's reaction to this this uh, incident. He knew he'd scored an own goal. He wasn't complaining about it. He knew he'd either given away a penalty or scored an own goal. Yeah. <laughs> he, there's no way he was thinking I'm going to get away with this. And he probably felt a bit bad about it. And if the referee might have looked at his reaction in, when he was making his original decision that it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a foul by Joe Willock. And there was something in the Aussie rules that happened, which is where one of the Richmond players, who's Bobby's team against the Brisbane Lions, who's my my team, uh, there was like a video referee kind of situation thing where the apparently they took the player's reaction into account because the the player was looked disappointed that he hadn't scored a goal, and that were, that one was inconclusive. But like the, the player reaction just said it all, didn't it, Dimmy? Mitchell knew he'd fucked that up. Yeah. It, it it always does though. I mean, even if with when with penalty decisions that go against a team, you can sort of see how the player reacts post it if they think it's a if it's a foul. And and yeah, Mitchell didn't blink. He just looked at it. He looked like, oh shit, I've just scored an own goal. That was the look he gave. Not hey hey referee. Joe Willock has just clattered into the goalkeeper. So so yeah. Even yeah, yeah even around the ground, like if there's even a, a sniff of a contentious decision. There'd be two or three players around the ref straight away arguing. If it's in the if it's a penalty, there'd be five or six and a keeper. Like he gets surrounded by it could be the most obvious penalty you've ever seen, and he'll still get approached. Like, no, 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 like that wasn't a penalty, blah, blah, blah. And not one person even went to him. He just had the look of like, oh shit, worst yeah. best case, this is a penalty. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that at least was what if it's I, a penalty, we might be able to save it. And and that was what I thought from the VAR. Are they are they checking that there was maybe a penalty here? Because just nothing in my brain could compute that he was going to give a foul against Willick. But because why would he not have just stood there and headed it into the goal? Like why would he just deliberately choose to yeah, jump yeah, into the goalkeeper? Launch into the goalkeeper. Yeah, launch himself, yeah. launch himself <laughs> to the goalkeeper. <laughs> Jesus. Right. Well, that's twenty five minutes on VAR. So. Uh, Let's hope the next time we do a review after West Ham, we're not going to have to talk about this again because it's it's just 
disappointing. Like we're we're talking, we're spending just as much time talking about this, and like it's not what football is, you know. Like uh, we don't want to be doing this every week, but it's kind of where it's we're at, and it's been a feature. It's been a big feature of our the early part of our season. What are we going to say, Keegan? Oh, this might be my last review anyway because. We've never won. I've never done a winning review. So this, <laughs> I didn't know that. I'll get all my VAR stuff out now because I probably won't be on another one. So that's I'm, I'm right for the – I'll be doing previews and special guests. <laughs> I didn't know that. You wouldn't – me and Dimmy – oh, you wouldn't – yeah. Shit. You're not, you're not allowed to do – You're not welcome anymore. again. Yeah, no, that's it. Just leave me for the previews. Bad omen. <laughs> right, so after that, there was still 40 minutes left of the game. Palace did come back into it. I think maybe that – that maybe knocked us a little bit and slowed us down. Like you said before, Keegan, Palace made a triple sub, brought some good players on. Um, but then, yeah, after they so they got back in. They had a few decent chances. Nick Pope was making some good saves for us. But again, like we still have probably had the better chances before before the end of the game. Willock had a really nice, uh, really good chance, which he was good set up nicely by Isak, which is something else that Isak did pretty well. Um, but the, the the end of the game kind of came up. We had a few more corners uh, and we, we just sort of ran out of steam, I think, at the end. Um, let's talk about Elliot Anderson, though, because we talked before about players who came off the bench. Um, you know, there's not that much excitement about seeing Murphy or uh, Chris Wood come on, um, as hard as those players work. But <laughs> Elliot Anderson did come on after the 70-minute mark, so he's... He came on at about eighty-two minutes, I think it was, against Wolves. So he's had he's had a little bit longer against Liverpool, I think, maybe did he? Or I can't remember. But then yeah, anyway, 70 had, odd, it was a seventy-odd. Yeah, he, he had twenty minutes in this game, and he made a really good good impact. He had twenty-two touches. He had five take-ons. He had, he created one big chance, and he won three duels, and he was fouled twice as well. But Dimmy played well, didn't he? The the young man when he came on, he's only nineteen. He's really special. He's some players you can just see that they've got it and they've got that X factor and, and he hundred percent has got has got that. He glides both to his left, to his right, left foot crosses, uh, right foot. Um he's he's special and I think it's it's not gonna be too much longer that we're gonna have to keep him out of the starting lineup. He's he's a magician on the ball and I think his little stint on the wing showed he can even play out wide, even though we've been playing him in, in the middle three in the preseason. I think the the stint on the weekend definitely showed he can play out wide and, and be a threat crossing the ball and, and cutting in. I mean, that last cross I think he did where he slashed it across goal and somehow I think it was Anderson or Gahey or whoever it was managed to volley it over from about two yards mm-hmm. out in front of his own goal. I don't know how that didn't go in. That would have been a, a brilliant moment for him. But, but yeah, definitely he's, he's improving. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's improving at a, at a rate of knots and I think uh, you can see his confidence is now building to think, to think that he he really belongs at this level yeah there was a, there was a moment where he got the ball in the left hand channel and he did like he did like a, a drag back and I think he got fouled in that that was one of the fouls he got but that just shows this quality he's got he's just got skill and he's got abundance of talent and he did. He has been playing mainly in the middle for us in the preseason, but when he was on loan at Bristol Rovers, he played out on the left hand side. That's where predominantly he played, uh, and he he was amazing there. Obviously, it was League Two, League Two level, so it's it's not not the same. But I think 
when you've got talent like that, there's no reason that can't translate into playing in the Premier League. Keegan, you excited about young Elliot? I am. I, I can I can sort of understand what Joey Barton was saying last year with the the similarities he was comparing to, but I Geordie Maradona. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sold on him starting yet. I, I'm not sure one he's got the tank to go for an hour at Premier League level yet. I don't think he's probably got the strength to sort of handle. If he's going to play in the middle, like there's some big boys who play through the middle of the park in a lot of a lot of these teams. And Crystal Palace seemed like they were a pretty pretty strong team as well, like physically a physically strong team. So I think I think the way we're going about it's the right way with him at the moment. Just nurture him in. I think he could probably start pushing for sixty minutes and and get on get on around the sixty minute mark. But I think it's it's just a sort of kid gloves with him at the moment is just to drip feed him in. And I think even even from a, a team point of view, I think he's going to have the most impact coming on when them bodies are a bit more tired rather than everyone sort of starting with the same intensity and the same physicality and, and fitness levels from the start of the game. So I think I think he can be a real weapon for us coming off the bench for the last 20, 30 minutes of a game like I said, when, when bodies start to fatigue and, and tire and he's got that speed and skill, we can really become an advantage for us later on. And we've bemoaned the fact that our bench sort of lacks depth and, and spark, especially if we need to chase the game. I think he can definitely be that guy. Like you can see his confidence is just growing and growing and growing. And I believe, yeah, give him another two or three games and his confidence should be sky high and he can, he can really do some damage towards the end of the game for us if we need him to. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because he could be out on loan. Um, he could have gone to the championship. Pretty much any club in the championship would have taken him and he would be getting more game time. But um, yeah, he's he's training with a Premier League club and he is getting he is getting minutes. Um, you think about young players who have come into the Premier League and you get freaks like Wayne Rooney who came in when he was 16, but... He was basically like a fully grown man by 16 anyway, wasn't he? So, yeah. <laughs> his 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 body didn't need to kind of get up to the strength of Premier League. Uh, Elliot's a little bit more slight than that. Um, and he doesn't look weak by any means. But yeah, there's maybe something in that. Uh, I think there's going to be a clamour for him more and more to start games, though, if, um, if Maxi's still injured and if... Miggy and Fraser still not producing goals and assists. Um, so I think there might come a time soon, and it depends on fitness as well. Um, and it depends on sort of injuries to other players or whether he's going to play in the middle or out wide. But it's good to have somebody who's got that versatility, and it is exciting to see him coming off the bench. He was so close to scoring a goal against Wolves as well. So mm-hmm. that's he's really one for the future, but he could be one for, for the sort of the very near future as well. Yeah, so we'll I think maybe not maybe not this month, but our, our fixture list in October is pretty congested before the World Cup. Like, I think there's going to be a fair bit of squad rotation mm. sort of going on there. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's to start drip feeding him in. So come October, he's he's got that sort of ability and, and physicality and he knows, similar to what they did with Bruno last year, I think, like, Drip feed him in and drip feed him in, and there's going to come to a point where you're just going to go. You're starting, mate. Like mm. we've you've had enough. You know what? 
the league's about, you know, the speed, the physicality levels and all that sort of stuff. And now we've got the belief in your ability that you can actually start the game for us. And I think, yeah, I reckon October you'll start a few games for us during that congested sort of period. And the good thing is as well, we know there is a plan. So pre- yeah. <laughs> the previous yeah. managers, <laughs> that hasn't necessarily been one, but now, now yeah. there is. So Tap on the arse know- and... Do your yeah, best, son. We, yeah, see we, know, <laughs> we know that this is going to be, um, there is going to be a clear plan, and it does depend on what's happening with the team and the squad. But there's going to be the the, the coaching staff are going to have his uh, long term interest in mind as well with his development, because he could develop in a real uh, local hero for us, a real a real superstar. So let's have a look at the just the stats from the end of the game. 52% possession to 48% in our favour. 23 shots to 19, but only six on target compared to Palace's nine. 13 corners again, which we didn't do much with, uh, to their five. So I want to just talk, we've talked a little bit about the attack before, um, some of the kind of issues we've had that you raised there before, Keegan, but the, Chris Woff's written a good article for The Athletic which takes into account some of these attacking metrics. Um, so our people don't like this, but our XG in this game was 2.83 to Palace's 1.01. So even though they've had uh, almost the same amount of shots, we've had a much better XG, which means our the quality of our chances was much better. But this season, we're averaging 14.7 shots per game, which is a lot and um, we haven't done that high since the I think it was 2000 and uh, it was on Pardew 2010-11 I think it was um, and we're averaging 5.2 shots on target per game um, our average XG over the season is 1.52 which is the 8th highest in the in the league um, but like you were saying before Keegan our shot conversion is the 6th worst in the league so even though we've got a decent we're creating some decent chances. We're not actually converting them and we're not being efficient with it. And like I said, we've only scored seven goals this season from a, an XG of a, a total XG of 9.1. So we should have scored nine goals according to the XG, but we've only scored seven goals. Dimmy, do you think XG, do you, do you sort of pay anything by that stat or do you, do you think it's just a load of shite? Um, and what do you, what's your take on the kind of attacking um, issues we've had that so far this season? I place slight attention to it. I don't think it's a load of shit, but I, I don't think it's a be-all and end-all. I think it comes down to you can create as good chances as you want, but if we don't have quality in the final third, they're more than likely not going to finish them. And, and at the moment, and we've seen for the last three, four seasons, when Wilson doesn't play, we haven't had anyone else in the squad who consistently scores goals. So if we're relying on worldies, like Keegan said, to score us and score us goals and win us games, it's not not a sustainable formula. So we do need to pick up that area of our game. I think it'll help when we've got a full team and we've got Maxi, we've now got Isaac, we've got Bruno back in the midfield. It'll That'll help. But we still need to, I think, improve our front third quality in terms of actual players to to improve that goal conversion rate. Because, I mean, Miggy's not a good finisher. Fraser, has he scored a goal for us? It's going to be one goal, two goals for us. Two, in his career. Yeah. So we're not, yeah... So we, we don't we don't have and Joe Linton we know his issues in front of goal Willick hasn't doesn't seem like he's scored since he's seven in seven and with Bruce mm-hmm. so it 
we don't have goals amongst the team. And, and unfortunately, at this stage of our development, we'd have to try and find and manufacture goals as we have been this season. Do you think in the short term, Keegan, when Wilson comes back, although there's no uh, set date on that yet, and he could be out for months <laughs> for all we know, do you think that there's a chance that Isak could go on play up front with Wilson? Could Maybe he could be stuck out, out wide, or maybe we could change the system a bit and play him in behind Wilson? Or what, mm. what do you think might happen? Because we don't want we don't want them on the bench, either of them on the no. bench, really, do we? I've... I thought about this. I think I posted in the group chat last week what's going to happen when Wilson's fit. Like the last time he was injured, they said they don't think it's bad and he missed like four months. So it's hard. Yeah, and then exactly. And then they said he's going to be, it's only a minor, a minor injury now. And they went and spent 60 million on a striker two days later. So it doesn't exactly fill you with confidence that he's going to be back like in the next couple of weeks. But I think, I don't know. Like I don't think they'll play two up top. I, I think. It'll be one up top. Now, whether Isak plays out on the right, that's that's plausible because he seems he's really good with the ball at his feet. He's not really an aerial threat, although he's, he's size. He's not really an aerial threat in the box anyway. So you're not really missing out on him heading the ball in. He, he scores very few headed goals from what I've read. So he looks really comfortable with the ball at his feet. His work rate's really, really high like we've seen that from the chance he created. Like he's not scared to press and try and shut down players. So I still think... Although he hasn't played much out on the right, I think he played a little bit, Dimmy, didn't he, at the for the real social yeah. dads out on the right? So yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> so he can play there. I don't know; it's not his preferred position, but you got to look at it is in a sense where is he better than what we'll have on the right hand side? And I, I think that I think that's yes. So mm. for me, if, if Wilson's fit, he and fit by mean like he can play 90 minutes and not do himself another mischief he can mm. he can start up front with with Isak out on the right but I, I even now I'd still when Wilson says he's fit he comes off the bench at the moment because I don't mm. have any faith in his in his body at all mm. yeah there was I was thinking about whether they might both play up front or whether someone might go out wide and it just reminded me a little bit of when we had Denver Bar playing up front banging goals yeah in. That's exactly. And then we signed. Exactly, and then we signed yeah. Cisse, who yeah. came in and, and then shipped him off out there too. Denver got shoved out to the wide, yeah, and he didn't score. He only scored two, one or two more goals that season, so um, which didn't yeah. matter because Pappas was taking the Pappas yeah. since so it didn't really matter. <laughs> but but you do have to be a bit careful. I think Isak's young enough though, and he he is the long term striker for us anyway. You know, I think if we if we stay playing. And we want to stick playing a system that we know works with the three midfielders. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens. But like we said, we don't know how long Wilson's going to be out for. Could be, could be months yet. So I think I'm I'm more desperate at this stage to get Bruno and Maxi back than I am mm. Wilson because we've got no one to replace uh, those players to the same level. But Isak, we know, is going to do a good job up front. Right, let's have a look at the league table. I said I said at the start of the season, six games is a fine amount of time to look at the league table. I did do it after the fourth game. But here we are in the in the middle of the table. Seven points. We're sitting in eleventh. One win, four draws, one defeat, which we all know shouldn't really have been a defeat. Keegan, what's your sort of overriding sort of feelings about this at this stage 
of the season. Are you kind of getting concerned about this or are you all good? I wouldn't say I'm all good, but I wouldn't say I'm I'm a real flipper. Sometimes sometimes it worries me we've only won one game for the season. And that that concerns me a little bit. But the other half says, Yeah, but look at the players we've had out and we've only lost one game, so it's not all doom and gloom and you look at the teams above us, I can't see them like Brentford, Leeds and Fulham in the immediate area. I can't see them sustaining their form over 38 games as well. So, I mean, if we want to be where we want to be, which is probably between 7 and 10, I guess, like as long as we're still around that for most mm-hmm. of the time, I think I think it's good. I think as well, we're probably only maybe a point worse off than what kind of par would have been at this stage. Because we beat Forest, and we drew with Brighton, which is a good, a good point. We drew with Man City unexpectedly. Um, drew with Wolves, fair enough. Lost to Liverpool, which was expected, and then we've drawn this when we should have maybe expected to win it. So that point against Man City kind of cancels out um, this result to an extent. Um, but I think. It is five without a win now. So you have to look at the context as well. The fact that if we hadn't have been on the end of these bad decisions, we would have been up in the top four probably as well. And so you can look at this, but without the context, it doesn't really mean anything. Like this is completely different to if we had, you know, pre, pre under previous managers where we've had fortunate wins and where the kind of underlying numbers haven't been as positive as they are at the moment in some areas. What, what do you think about this, Dimmy? You, you'll just be surprised we haven't won all six games, are you? <laughs> not necessarily, but no. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not concerned, to be honest, to be brutally honest. I'm not concerned. Our performances are good. And I hate the word process, but um, trust the process. And I think uh, results will come. I, I, there's nothing that's really I've seen in the first six games that thinks that we can't finish in the top 10, top eight. So... I think uh, there's still 32 games to go and there's still a long, long time. So I think uh, keep playing the way we're playing and results will definitely come. And I definitely think that Bournemouth game in a couple of weeks could be uh, could be a happy one for us. Yeah, we've got some uh, much better fixtures coming up as well now. So we've, we've played some hard games and we've got some good ones on the horizon. All right, we, we'll leave it there with... We're not going to be talking about VAR next time. Uh, I think let's make a let's make a, um, a pact that even if we are booked again by VAR, let's just not talk about it. <laughs> we'll have to just talk about everything else instead because <laughs> it's just boring, isn't it? But good luck. Uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> you've talked you talked there, Dimmy, about Sydney. So I'm just going to give a little plug to the Aussie Mags meetup. Uh, there are four of us out of out of the two hundred pod going to Sydney. Uh, they've sold, I think, around 80 tickets so far. So that's going to be really good. We're having a, a weekend in Sydney and we're meeting at Cheers Bar in Sydney for the um, game against Bournemouth. And they've got, there's a few other events going on. So if you're listening to this and if you're anywhere in Australia and if you fancy coming to meet some Newcastle fans, uh, then do that. Go to the Aussie Mags Facebook page. Uh Keep looking at our website. We I wrote a, an article about the current kind of state of play, about the squad and the, a bit of a um, supportive piece for the owners and what they've done since they came in, a bit of analysis about what they've done. So go to the website and have a look at that. 
We'll be back later this week for a preview of the West Ham game. And then we'll be back next week for a review of that game. Anything else to add there, Dimmy or Keegan, before we say goodnight? I just want to say that I think uh, now that Keegan's told us he hasn't been on a winning pod in the review, I think we'll say <laughs> goodbye goodbye to Keegan from reviews for now on. But uh, Forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, and uh, hopefully without Keegan we can get a... Get a good review show with a win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'll just use this. I'll use this opportunity now to thank everyone for their support. Um, yeah, I'll see you on the on the re- on the preview shows. Permanent <laughs> 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 fixture on the preview yeah. shows. <laughs> All right, cheers, guys. I'll speak to you later. See you, mate. See you, mate.